don't do this often with some crowd participation, but I would, if you would, bear with me, I'd like you to repeat with me this morning, all, oh that was weak guys, I know it's raining outside, but all, all. Scripture, scripture is, is profitable. profitable. Good job, we can put it all together and say it together, all scripture is profitable. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, and so if it is written in this book that we claim to follow, that we claim that it's our authority, if it's written in this book, it is profitable for us. Matthew Henry, uh, many of you read his commentary, has said this, where God has a mouth to speak and a hand to write, we should find an ear to hear and an eye to read, and God give us a heart to profit. So Joshua chapter 15, Joshua continues the distribution of the land, the allotments of the tribes, and specifically in chapter 15, he's giving the largest portion of the land to the largest tribe, Judah. And uh, though this passage may not be immediately invigorating, you may uh, wonder how in the world this is going to mean anything for us today in the life, in the world, in the context that we live in. 2,500 years ago, the Israelites would have rejoiced at every last detail of this boundary description. The chapter is long at 63 verses. I'm going to focus more on the first half of the passage of the chapter and, uh, and less on the second. Um, the chapter begins, I'll give you a little bit of a, a, a broad understanding of what, what's going on here. The chapter begins with a general description of the geographic boundaries of Judah's inheritance. That's, uh, and Caleb's a part of that tribe. Uh, the chapter is bookended, the very end of the chapter is uh, a list of a hundred cities within those borders, within those boundaries. And then in the middle, you have this short narrative uh, that, that Paul just read for us that gives you the rest of Caleb's story, right? Stuck right there in the middle. Uh, this, this narrative uh, that, that, if you remember from last week where we left Caleb, he's telling Joshua, give me my mountain. Uh, I'm an 85-year-old man, but I'm just as strong now as I was then, and I'm ready to fight, secure what God has promised and, uh, and we get the rest of the story this morning in our text, and you've, you've already heard it read for you. But before we get there, we need to make some significant observation. Um, beginning in the chapter, the first 12 verses, there is a clear focus uh, on this idea of boundaries, borders. Uh, the first 12 verses alone have the word boundary in it 19 times. There's a focus there that we, we should not miss. We shouldn't glance over uh, it's important because it clues the reader in. It clues us in as, as students of God's word, as Christians. It clues us in on the, the geographical territory of Judah's land. But more importantly, it's cluing us in on the, the details, the, the specific nature of God fulfilling his promise to Judah, down to every last turn and corner. Uh, and, and if Paul wrote in Romans, and if, if, if what Paul wrote in Romans was true, that the, the Holy, Holy Spirit inspired these words, if God himself inspired these words for our instruction to build our faith, to give us insight, to give us spiritual truth, then there must be something here for us as the church today that teaches us about our inheritance, about God's promises to us, God's expectations for us, and even his boundaries for our own lives. So I want to make something clear from the beginning. Uh, oftentimes in the Old Testament, and even in Joshua so, for, so far, what we see is a, is a physical land, the, the promised land. In this case, the land that would, uh, would be Judah's land. And we make application often of, of spiritual truths, right? A spiritual promised land that we as Christians are journeying toward. Uh, a land that will have no end. We hear of battles in the, in the Old Testament, even in the book of Joshua. And in battles fought with swords and spears. 
and we make application to spiritual battles that we face every day. Um, In other words, when we study the Old Testament, oftentimes we take physical things in Israel's history and we understand them to be pointing to spiritual truths for for the Christian, for the believer in Christ today. And so we're going to do that same thing this morning with this idea, with this principle that we see, I think, clearly in Joshua 15 of boundaries. Boundaries in the text um, that, that God is giving through Joshua to Caleb and the people of Judah. Now, I need to make something clear before we begin, uh, lest there be a misunderstanding. Uh, our culture, in our day and age, you hear this term boundaries all the time, right? Uh, today, we use that language. Uh, it, it's the idea that, that individuals would help build or, or maintain healthy relationships, right? Uh, or, or protect themselves from unhealthy relationships, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's hundreds of books written and, and blog posts written about uh, boundaries, setting up boundaries in our lives for our relationships, how to create boundaries in our workplace so that we don't bring it home with us and it carry over into our family life, how to create boundaries uh, with unhealthy friends or family members so that they don't bring us into a place uh, that we don't want to be. Uh, have you ever heard of that sort of language? Like, I'm, I'm putting up boundaries in my life. Um, the aim of those types of boundaries is quite simply the, the pursuit of happiness or uh, with other people or maybe even uh, healthy habits for ourselves. And unfortunately, the, those sorts of protective boundaries can actually hinder us. Not all the time. I'm not saying that those are all the time bad things to create, uh, to synthesize boundaries in our lives. Uh, but oftentimes, they can, they can hinder us from seeing the real problem in those relationships, which is oftentimes, even for the believer in Christ, our relationship with God. Um, think about it. In, in all of those cases where you need to concoct boundaries, what's the common denominator? You are. You are. And so maybe, perhaps, sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes it might not be that you need a boundary at work, a physical boundary or, or something to, to make yourself shut down. It may be that your relationship with God's not right, and so your priorities are all wrong. It may not be that you need a boundary with a certain friend or family member. It may be that your relationship with God is not right. And so the time that you spend with that person is not as God intended it to be. Your priorities for even in in, in having that relationship is not where it should be. In other words, often boundary issues have little to do with with the sin of other people and, and just as much the sin of our own heart. The solution, therefore, isn't finding ways to avoid certain things as much as it is repenting, trusting the Lord. And confessing sin to him and, uh, and letting him determine our, our, our priorities. So hear me, I'm not saying that boundaries that we construct are necessarily a bad thing. But it may not be the actual issue. And now that that is clear, none of that is what I'm talking about this morning. Here's what I mean. I say all that to say that the boundaries that we're talking about that I just described to you that our culture talks about, I'm going I'm to put up a boundary there, is not the, what we're observing in the text today. We're not talking about boundaries that we create. Uh, that's not what this passage is dealing with. Joshua and Israel didn't create these boundaries arbitrarily. Uh, they, 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 in fact, they didn't create them at all. Uh, God did. He's the one, through Joshua, giving them the, the boundaries of their land. And so this morning, in these first 12 verses, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time observing what their boundaries were and then applying some spiritual principles. And here's the point. You've gotta, you can't miss this. We're applying these spiritual principles and observing our God-given boundaries what he's determined to be our rights and responsibilities and our expectations. 
These geographic boundaries given to Israel by God should point to us a spiritual reality out for us as we walk with Christ today for how to evaluate, how to understand our responsibilities and restrictions for what God has called us to as believers, as a part of Poplar Spring Baptist Church, as people who are walking with the Lord. What's he expect of us? What are our responsibilities right now? And so, sort of three divisions in the text this morning. Not really points as much as just observations from different parts of the passage. The first is this. We see Judah's God-given boundaries. We see Judah's God-given boundaries. Look at verses 1 through 12. As we read this text, it's going to have a lot of places, a lot of descriptions of, of lands. But listen, as we're reading, listen to the way that God is giving them specific confines, specific uh, boundaries that are, that are meant to be uh, understood and, and maintained. Let's read together. The allotment for the tribe of the people of Judah, according to their clans, reached southward to the boundary of Edom, to the wilderness of Zin at the farthest south. And their south boundary ran from the end of the Salt Sea, from the bay that faces southward. It goes out southward of the ascent of Akrabim, passes along to Zin, and goes up south of Kadesh Barnea, along by Hezron up to Adar, turns about to Karka, passes along to Osman, and goes out by the brook of Egypt and comes to its end at the sea. This shall be your south boundary. And the east uh, boundary is the Salt Sea to the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary on the north side runs up from the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary goes up to Beth Hoglah and passes along north of Beth Arabah. And the boundary goes up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And the boundary goes up to Debir. Uh, from the valley of Achor, and so, uh, so northward, turning toward Gilgal, which is opposite the ascent of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley. And the boundary passes along the waters of uh, En Shemesh and ends at Enrogel. Then the boundary goes up by the valley of the son of Hinnom at the southern shoulder of the Jebusite, that is Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up to the top of the mountain that lies over against the valley of Hinnom on the west, at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. Then the boundary extends from the top of the mountain to the spring of the waters of Neptoah, and from there the cities of Mount Ephron. Then the boundary bends to Baalah, that is Kiriath-Jerim, and the boundary circles west of Baalah to Mount Seir, passes along to the northern shoulder of Mount Jerim, that is Ches-Alam, and goes down to Beth Shemesh and passes along by Timnah. The boundary goes out to the shoulder of the hill country of Ekron, then, passes, uh, then the boundary bends around to Sheik Keron and passes along to Mount Baalah and goes out to Jeb Neel. And the boundary comes to an end at the sea, and the west, boundary of the, great, the west boundary was the Great Sea with its coastline. This is the boundary of the people of Judah according to their clans. I really thought there would be some clapping right now. <laughs> That's really strange. Um, these verses are tedious, but they're giving us very specific boundaries surrounding Judah. Um, we see clearly as it ends this definitive statement, this is the boundary. This is your boundary, Judah. And again, we're reminded that not only are the portions given by God, but their exact shape and size and location and every turn and corner and creek and boundary is determined by God. In other words, we're not talking about boundaries that they set for themselves or that they looked up and saw and wanted. We're talking about boundaries that God gave them. 
Similarly in our lives, we're not talking this morning about different boundaries that that we decide, but boundaries that God has laid out so that there is no mystery for us about what we're responsible for and about what he expects of us. So the truth we see as we cross over from the Old Testament into our lives, I'm just going to summarize here, is that God has placed us in a specific time and a specific place. You had no uh, way to determine that for yourself. He's given you a certain personality and made you a part of a certain family. You had no way or ability to determine that. He's given you a set of experiences. He's given you perhaps a marriage or a job or different relationships. He's given you a neighborhood. He's given you a church family. And within these boundaries that he set your life, he has certain responsibilities and expectations for you. And here's the thing. It's likely that you're not fulfilling those responsibilities and expectations if you've never considered what they actually are. If you've never sat down and thought, what has God given me? What am I stewarding? What has he put on my plate? It's likely that you're missing it. And so this morning, think about the implication of these boundaries for Judah. Here's we're going to take the text and see what they've been given and think about what it meant for them. Why is it so important that God give them specific boundaries? After all, think about this for, for Israel. Judah's neighbors... If you think about this on a map, if you were to go pull a map and look at where the tribe of Judah was given a land, their, their neighbors are other Israelites. Their, their neighbors are their brothers and sisters, fellow tribes that love the Lord, love their God. So, so why is it so important? Why go to such great length to make it clear which land was Judah's? Why don't we just all get along with one another and live in the land together? Judah's given a chunk of land outlined by God in detail, and within those boundaries, Judah... Judah is responsible to build and to cultivate and to provide for its inhabitants, to protect from enemy threats, to make sure there is, there's nothing going on in the land that would displease God. And if any aspect of the land is threatened or needed attention, the men and women of Judah have a clear responsibility to lead and to fight within those borders. As a whole, the tribe of Judah is not commanded to go and concern themselves with other people's lands. Uh, They were not commanded to increase the size of their tribe or their allotment. They were not commanded to to cultivate their neighbor's property. God marked out their territory for them to live and thrive for his glory. Now, of course, history will demonstrate, the Old Testament will demonstrate, that this did not mean that they couldn't help one another, right? That's not worth saying. We're not saying that when war or when threats come, they don't help their neighbor. Certainly we see that in Scripture. Certainly that's a principle we would want to live by. When all of Israel's threatened, they all fought together. But most often, exclusive concern was for what God told them to steward, what God gave them in their lives to watch over, to be responsible for. Now think about the implications of that for our lives, for our God-given borders in a spiritual sense, making spiritual application of this physical truth in the Old Testament. In a similar way, God has given us not only a unique portion, he's also given us specific boundaries within those portions. He's marked out for us, for you and for me, whether we realize it or not, the places that we're to live and thrive for his glory. This is not unique to us or not unique in scripture. Genesis, you think about even just the beginning in creation, Genesis 2.15. Uh, it says that God, the Lord God the, uh, took the man, that's Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it... And keep it, specifically the Garden of Eden. Earlier in Genesis, we saw that the garden had specific boundaries, very similar to the land that we see here. And it's within those boundaries that Adam was expected to work and maintain and to grow and to cultivate uh, within that garden. And that was before the fall. That was before the consequences of sin. It's not like uh, all of like work and, and, and those things came as a result and as a punishment of the fall. That was intended from the beginning. 
This was his plan for Adam to have clear-cut boundary of a land that he was to cultivate and shape and provide for and mold and maintain. And it was glorious because it was in the image of God. God is the creator created in man's image. Adam was also to create and maintain and cultivate under God's glory. It's an incredible picture. And the question for us, I think the question for each and every one of us as believers today, have you stopped, have you paused for even a moment to survey the boundaries that God has given you? What's the responsibilities he's called you to? Have we as a church stopped and considered the responsibilities that God has given us as a church in this community? What does he expect of us? If not, if you've never considered those things, then the things that God has given you to maintain, to work, to provide in as one of his children, you're probably like like a blind squirrel, right? Like a blind squirrel that just wanders around and every now and then finds an acorn. Oh, this is what obedience feels like. This is, this is it. This is what he would desire of me. You say, well, Matt, let's say that I don't want to be like that blind squirrel spiritually anymore. Where would I begin asking questions and determining those boundaries that God has laid out for my life so I don't just accidentally find obedience every now and then? I'm glad you asked. That's a fantastic question. I want to give us five Questions to think through. Five questions to think through as it relates to this principle of God giving us responsibilities, expectations as we live under his sovereign rule as his children. The first one is what I've been asking, but I want to dig into it a little more. The first one is this. What are your God-given borders? What are your God-given borders? And just as important, how do we determine our God-given borders? I think for us, church family, it would be wise, it would be right and good of us if we begin exactly where Judah began, right? With God's word. I mean, I think about this in scripture. He, he, Judah didn't begin with what they saw, what they liked, what they felt good about, go and survey and say, oh, that looks like a good piece right there. Uh, the, the, in the description of the allotments, if, if there was ever any confusion, if, they, if 10 years from now or, or, or 100 years from now they were confused about what God had given them, they could go back to what was written, Right? That's why it's in Joshua. That just makes sense for us, right? They could go back. I'm not sure where our south border. Go back to the scriptures. Go back to the word of God. See your boundaries. See the boundaries that God's laid out before you. He made it very clear. As we just read and heard, it's very specific. And you, as a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, as a husband or a wife, you have certain parameters in the word of God that you've been called to, that you are expected to live under. Do you know what they are? Have you read them? If you're wondering what your boundaries are this morning, go to the Word of God. He has them for you there. Have you read what the Bible says about your role as an employee? Did you know that? Did you know it's even in the Scriptures? That if you're hired by someone, by another person, then you have God-given expectations for how you live and work under their authority, under the employment of someone else. So identify, what are my God-given boundaries? What what are the lanes that he's called me to run in? At this season of life, at this time in life, as Matt James, as you as an individual, what has God called you to? What borders are you running in right now? Second question, what needs to be built or cultivated? What needs to be built or cultivated? Once you've determined what those borders are and God's made that clear to you, this is who you are, this is who I've called you to be, and you've surveyed what's within it, then this next question comes, where do I build? Where do I cultivate? What do I begin to do in the land? Uh, what healthy structures exist and which ones are needed, um, right? And I'll just give you one example here, and you could apply this to any number of things um, that God's called you to, but marriage, right? Think about marriage for even just a moment. What is a biblical marriage? What's the role of a husband? What's the role of a wife? 
it's likely that we're, we've not arrived yet. I'll confess that to you. And that needs to be built and cultivated. So many times in counseling opportunities, you ask, hey, hey do you know what God expects of you as a husband? Do you know what the word of God would say uh, about you as in your expectations as a husband? And then there's this, this blank stare and this long silence and then sort of this, um, to love my wife? Almost like it's a question. Like, almost like, the, is this the right answer? I'm not. Do we know what the word of God says? And, and when we do, are we cultivating, are we building within our boundaries for his glory? Judah entered into their boundaries, surveyed what was there and what needed to be done, and began to work building and cultivating. And I think that's so obvious that we don't even think about it, right? We don't even think about this aspect of the allotments and what happens when they actually move into the land that God had told them. They didn't just want to, to, to wander into, into this allotment, this land, and, and see T-bone steaks hanging from the trees. Like that, that's silly, but that, that, that's almost what we assume sometimes. No, they moved in, they began to cultivate and develop and grow and build within the thing that God had given them. Again, I go back to Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. God gives them land, they survey it, and they begin to work within that boundary. Think, think about the first thing that he does, he's naming of the animals. Like that's so obvious to us, but had he not done that, he's like, that animal over there with the black and white stripes. He has to say that every time if he doesn't call that thing a zebra. There's stuff to be done. There's things to be built and cultivated within what God has given us. Third question. Third question. Uh, where within your borders are the threats? Where within your borders are the threats? Maybe to ask it a different way, what have you been given to protect within your boundaries? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, what are the vulnerable areas within your family, within your own walk with Christ, within your, your, your personal life, within your commitment to your church family? What are the areas that are weak or sensitive, that, that are threatened right now, that need extra time, attention? Um, knowing what to protect means knowing what is weak and vulnerable. What are those weak spots? What are the areas that God has given you, assigned you to, that need more attention and time and energy? And then what parts are okay? What parts are, are could you could you be confident? God, you're, 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 you've established this. This is firm. I'm going to focus on this because this is weak. And you're leading me to, to reflect on this and work towards this. I think the beginning of a new year is, a, is an excellent time to begin to ask these types of questions. As I survey my life, my walk with you, and everything that you've called me to, everything that you've given me as a boundary for my life, what are the weak spots? What are the spots that are threatened? Fourth question. Who has been placed within your care? Who has been placed within your care? Who, not, not what this time, but who needs cultivation? What relationships has God given you, made you responsible for? And an immediate answer to that that we all think of is, well, my family, right? That's, that's the obvious one, and of course that's there. Of course, as, as mothers and fathers and, and, and grandparents, we, we want to care for and watch over our family. That's an expectation that Scripture would give us, but that's not the end of it. There's so much more than just our, our biological family. Uh, in our individualistic society, we often don't think about the other groups of people that God has given us responsibility for. That God has said, I've called you to care for those people, to shepherd those people, to steward those relationships for my glory. So what could they be? Well, church family? How are you, as a member of Poplar Spring, caring for the person on the pew with you? Assuming they're not your biological family. That one's pretty obvious. How are you caring for the people in the next service that you may never see? How are we, as a, as a church family, cultivating the, the, the health and spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ in this faith family? What friends, what neighbors, what coworkers? Has God given you a responsibility to care for? 
Have you ever asked the question? Have you ever even thought about it? Have you ever even thought about the people that you come into contact with every day and what your responsibility is to them? What are my borders and responsibilities within those borders? Number five, where within your borders do you need to battle? Where within your, bat- within your borders do you need to wage war? Do you have a strategy for battle? Have you ever surveyed your God-given borders and, and responsibilities and saw parts that were being attacked? The, the, the evil one, Satan loves to attack. He'll do it in a number of ways. He'll do it mentally, emotionally, in our family, with our finances, with our possessions, with the, the things that we've been given watch care over. As you survey your God-given boundaries and responsibilities, what parts are being attacked by the evil one and need attention? What things can you let go of so that you can focus on the parts that are being attacked? That Satan would love to destroy. Church family, this is one of the reasons that God, that God gives us his spirit to live inside of us. So that when we evaluate and ask these sorts of questions, he can lead us in truth. He's not playing games with us. It's not like he wants us to be deceived by what the evil one would do in our hearts and in our lives. The temptations that he would bring into our hearts and lives. He wants to show you that. And so ask him today, God, what, what parts of my heart are under attack right now by Satan? So boundaries side note here and it's really not a side note it's more a reminder of our core truth and the main truth that we would believe as christians as as those who confess christ as lord but i want to remind us because we've discussed some borders physically for israel spiritually in our own lives and as we discuss those borders those responsibilities that god has given us uh, our individual expectations as citizens of his kingdom there's a danger right there's a danger that could uh, that, we could, that we could fall into here, that if we're not careful, we can wrongly adopt a, a savior complex, right? Like this mentality, uh, that, that, that if I just evaluate my boundaries, see what God has given me, and, and work in those areas, and, and do in those areas, uh, cultivate in those areas, build in those areas, protect in those areas, I'll be okay. That, that, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be working in the spheres of influence that I have. No, friends, I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel is that we would even have no boundaries. We would have no land. We would have no portion, no inheritance at all, except for Christ. And because of his death and resurrection, because we we place our faith and trust in him, he makes us a son or a daughter. He brings us into his kingdom, and he gives us an imperishing inheritance. All of that is by his grace. All of that is by his grace. We don't earn that. Working within our boundaries, you don't even have a boundary but by Christ. He's accomplished our salvation, and as a result of his grace, as a result of what he's done in our lives, we then observe the things he's given us to steward, our responsibilities there, and we honor him. We want to honor him by committing everything he's given us back to him as worship unto him. That's, that's sort of how we're uh, to understand that all, th- this whole thing that I'm talking about this morning. It's not that, that every person has this thing and we're to work and then we, we get to honor Jesus. It's that he's given us this to begin with, and we're working in it because he's already redeemed us. And we want to honor him. He's the king, and we want to be faithful servants of our king with the, 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 the responsibilities and expectations that he has for us. One final thought here on this idea of boundaries before we move to the sec- second section of our text. Uh, Judah's given these boundaries, and Judah's boundaries showed Judah exactly what was their God-given responsibility, their land that they were to steward and watch over. But at the same time, these exact same boundaries showed Judah what they were not to be stewarding and watching over. It showed them what that were not their God-given boundaries. And so we need to ask the inverse of these questions too. 
Because I think it's asking the, 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 the negative side of these questions that we also can, can be stretched and grown in our faith. So let me, I'm not going to go into each one of these in detail, but what's outside of your God-given borders this morning? That may be just as important for you this morning as any other question. How much time and energy are you dedicating to building and cultivating something that God never told you that you have ownership of? What is not your responsibility to protect from threats? What is threatened but not your job to engage? What are you trying to care for but God has not placed under your care? What are the battles that you've not been called to fight? You may say, man, that, that sounds really harsh, Matt. Shouldn't we love and care for everyone? I mean, after all, what would Jesus do? Well, first, when we ask that question, I think it comes from a good place, but we need to realize we are not Jesus. You are not and I am not. But yes, if you want to offer Jesus an example, let's go there. What is the example of Jesus? What do we, if you go think back on our study through Mark, Jesus didn't heal every person that he had the power to heal. He, in fact, didn't even have a conversation with every person that he came into contact with. Often he would get alone to be by himself and pray and to spend time with the Father. And here's the reality, friends. If you don't know what your boundaries are, what your God-given responsibilities are, and what you have, you will stretch yourself so thin by trying to be everyone else's Savior. And that job's already taken. He is sovereign. He is control. And sometimes we need to just with open hands say, God, I can't. This is not my battle to fight. This is not a, a, within my boundaries. I'm giving it to you and I trust you in it. Jesus doesn't need you to be the Savior. He already is. And so know your boundaries. Second part of our text, second section of our text, we see not only Judah's big picture, God-given boundaries, we see Caleb and his God-given boundaries as an example for us in our God-given boundaries. Look at verses 13 through 20. I'm sort of playing on words here. I'm mixing metaphors, if you will, because what we see is Caleb's physical boundary. In Israel, we see his physical boundary, but I'm also applying the same principles spiritually that we just talked about to Caleb's life because I think we see in Caleb an example of, of, of putting into practice this whole thing that I'm talking about in our expectations and responsibilities that we have as Christians today. We see Caleb in this text as a fighter and as a father, and I think in both of them, he's, he's showing us faithfulness to this understanding of, of exercising authority in the spheres that we have for God's glory and obedience to him and what he's done for us. So look at verse 13. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion of the, uh, among the people of Judah, uh, Kiriath Arba, that is Her, uh, Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman and Talmi, uh, Talmi, the descendants of Anak. In this passage, we have an example of someone, follower of God, who takes responsibility for what God has given within his boundaries. In verse 14, after receiving his portion, being told what his portion is, 85-year-old Caleb wastes no time in clearing out the hills surrounding Hebron. Uh, he's, he's not lazy. He doesn't make excuses or claim that it's too hard. In chapter 14, you remember last week, he's talking the talk. I'm as strong now as I ever was, Joshua. I can do this. I can fight those stinking giants in the land because God has given it to us. In chapter 15, he's not talking the talk. He's walking the walk. He does exactly what, uh, what, what God has commanded him to do in his land, in the borders of his uh, territory. And he sets the standard for the tribes to follow within their boundaries as they are given their allotments in the, the remaining chapters in Joshua. He surveys what he's responsible for and he begins to cultivate in it, to build within it, to, to, to run out any threats within it. 
And there's this small insertion about one of the cities. So that's kind of Joshua's, or Caleb's portion. And then verse 15 starts this uh, insertion of a, of, a, of a very specific example. Look at verse 15. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath's affair. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath's affair and captures it, to him I will give uh, Aksa, my daughter, as a wife. And Othniel, son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, uh, his daughter, as a wife. Now Debir had been conquered uh, and held by Joshua formerly. But it appears it's been retaken by the Canaanites. And so Caleb comes up with this strategy, right? Uh, he offers the hand of his daughter in marriage to the man who will go and conquer Debir. And uh, it's a special incentive for a difficult task. And uh, it proves to, to, to work. And Othniel goes in and conquers Debir. And Caleb keeps his word. He gives his daughter to be married to Othniel. Uh, side note, Othniel will also one day serve as Israel's first judge in the book of Judges, chapter 3. Um, then there's this additional statement about Caleb... Um, Caleb's daughter and her new husband, if you continue reading in verse 18. And when she came to him, that's when his daughter went to her new husband, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And he gave the upper springs and the lower springs. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Judah, according to their clans. So, some strange things happen in these verses. We won't spend a lot of time trying to figure all of them out. Uh, the word urged there in, in the, in the uh, Hebrew, uh, the way that she went to her new husband and urged him is often a, a characterized as a negative thing, often like instigate or allured him to do something. So we're not really sure what's, what's, what's up with that. Also, if you notice, she asks her new husband to go to her father and request a field. And yet when they get to the father, she gets off her donkey first, doesn't even give her new husband time to talk, and asks for a creek. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a bit strange, and, and the commentaries are sort of all over the place on what's happening there. I'm not going to resolve it for us either this morning, other than to say, I think Caleb is serving for us as an example of what it means to see our boundaries See what God has given us and commit to, to, to honoring God within those responsibilities, within those boundaries. Think about this. He's older now. Joshua, or Caleb is older now, but he's willing to fight the sons of Anak. That's what we see when we first are introduced to, to Caleb in chapter 15. He goes and does it. But then when he gets to Debir, he reevaluates. He, he recognizes what's going on, and he recognizes his limitations, and he gives an incentive for someone else to go and engage in that battle. Friends, that's what he's doing. He's surveying his responsibilities, and he's honoring the Lord by faithfully committing to what God has put before him. So it's a strategy that's helpful and good. And then with his daughter, he, he didn't expound or expand his borders by giving uh, these streams from a different place to his daughter or doing something he shouldn't have done. He simply evaluates the situation, what's within his borders, and he honors the request. He's surveying his responsibilities, and he honors the Lord by faithfully committing to what God has put before him. I think it's an example for us of faithfulness, that we would work within what God has given us to honor God and be stewards over everything that he's put before us. Third section of the text, and it's sort of the last, it's really the majority as far as verses go, but the last portion of our text will spend the least amount of time, but I want us to see the Bible, God's word, as God-given, God-given truth in the real world. The Bible, God's word, is God-given truth in the real word. A real world. Look at verses 22 through 63. We're not going to read all of those cities, though some of you would probably get a kick out of watching me try. 
but I do want to make a few observations about these cities and then end with one major truth about God's word. So facts about these cities. They're organized into four groups. You see those divisions there. Uh, I like to sometimes helpfully rename them so that I can remember them. You've got the southern or redneck towns. You've got the western or hippie towns. You've got the Yankees in the hill country, and you've got those folks out in the desert. Um, If you count them up, there are 115 cities. Now, the Masoretic texts give 122. We're not sure why there's a discrepancy there, but uh, 115 cities are what we're going with because it's in our Old Testament. Almost half of them have never even been mentioned again in the rest of Scripture. In all of your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, half of them are never even mentioned again. 83 of the 115 cities there are a complete mystery. Uh, Even if they are mentioned again, we don't know anything about them. We couldn't find them today. They've been renamed at some point later in history, and we know nothing about them. But here's the thing. Don't let what we don't know about them, don't let the, the, the mystery about them obscure what we do know about them. What we do see is that this is the largest of any of the tribal lists. This is the largest list of cities that any of the tribes were allotted, meaning that the tribe of Judah was by far the biggest. And here's the question. Here's the question for us. If we go back to the statement that we started with in, uh, in 2 Timothy 3 from Paul, that all Scripture is profitable, all Scripture is profitable, how is this list of 115 cities profitable for us? What, what do we learn here? What, what is it that God would speak to us here and say, here's, here's truth for you from Joshua 15, the whole second half of the, the chapter that is profitable for you and for your spiritual walk. Here it is. If nothing else... This list of 115 cities, most of which we can't even find today, if nothing else, this list shows us that God's word is real and it's filled with accounts and information in the real world. Here's what I mean. God's word is seldom about bare, purely spiritual, abstract thoughts. A lot of religions work themselves up over this sort of thing, nirvana and and moving to states of, of betterness. God's word tends to be concrete, and his gifts are tangible and visible. The inheritance that he gave Israel was not an idea. It was boundaries. His gift was not thoughts. It was, it was real towns. You've heard of real estate. His gift to them was real estate. We can't find these towns today, but Israel could back then. They knew these towns. They, they, would, they would hear them and, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's right on 39 Highway. If ever they began to stray or wonder from God, they could look at his word, look at the the, the scriptures that had been preserved and see real places listed in the word and be nurtured by the thought that he had granted them those places. It's a reminder to him of, of of the reality, the realness, the tangibleness of God's promises. And in this way, Israel's concrete and tangible inheritance in Canaan is a foreshadowing of our own inheritance. It points us to a greater truth, a greater reality. That our full promise, listen church, our full promise is a new heavens and a new earth. It's not in some earthless, fleshless void, right? Our hope is not in dying and going to heaven. It's not. Now certainly when we die, we are immediately with the Lord. That is the truth of scripture that we see in scripture. When we die, when we breathe our last breath on this planet, we are immediately in the presence of the Lord. But that's not our hope. The New Testament always lifts our eyes beyond that to the return of the Lord when our bodies will receive resurrection. The the New Testament is always pointing us to the fullness that will be given, the redemption of our full person, body, and soul. 
And so this is the hope we have in Christ, not annihilation that we just cease to exist or that we move to a different state. Our hope, our hope in Christ is that, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, not that we'll just float around on clouds for all eternity like angels with little wings, but that he is making all things new, and this new earth, he will be recreating it without sin, and it'll be perfect, and it's going to be tangible. His promise to us is a reality for all eternity that we'll get to spend with him in a real place. And so when you see a list of towns like this, think of the realness of God's word. Actual places that point us to think of an actual place that he's preparing for us. That's an incredible truth, church family, that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we study oftentimes difficult portions of your word, we know that your word is profitable for us. And that there is truth in your text that should transform the way we live in the here and now and the way that we hope for what is to come. And so for every person in this room, I pray this morning that we would stop, that we would seriously pause at the beginning of a year and consider, God, what have you put before us? What are our God-given boundaries and expectations this year in 2019? And how can we leverage them for your glory? Complete obedience to who you've called us to be. God, if there's one here this morning that's never trusted you, that has no inheritance, that has no boundary because they're not one of your children, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would see Christ as the one who suffered and died in their place. God, help us to hope for eternity. A new heaven and a new earth where we'll spend eternity with the King who died for us. God, we give you this time, and in response to the word we've heard, we pray you would move and stir, form Christ in our hearts. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.